a thank you in advance for that. Uh, now that I've asked you to bust out your wallets, will you please bust out your Bibles or get out your cell phones, your tablets, whatever that's on, and uh, turn to Luke chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pew here that's in front of you, it's on page 716. If you're not familiar with where that is, Luke chapter 2 or page 716. If you're following online, uh, hopefully you can follow along with us. While you're turning there, uh, Pastor George helped us kick off a series on uh, five themes, five emotional themes of the Christmas story. Uh, so far, we've heard about hope and faith. Today, we're going to talk about joy and then peace and love come later on in this month. We're going to talk about the theme of joy today. So follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Uh, and, and Ray already heard this, but it's a good story. We'll, we'll read it again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Good news that will cause great joy for all people is what verse 10 says. Now, as we're talking about joy, if you have young kids in the house or if you're a kid at heart, this is probably the image that comes to mind when you think of joy. This is a, a, a screenshot or a picture from one of the characters in what, what I, in my opinion, view is the greatest Pixar movie that's ever come out. There's an Inside Out 2 coming. This is from the first Inside Out movie, and this is the character of Joy. If you haven't seen it, here's the gist of the movie. Uh, the gist of the movie is that there's a little girl named Riley. She's entering middle school, and the main characters are not the humans, but they are the emotions inside of their brains. And so these emotions are characterized. This is the character of Joy. And uh, Joy kind of owns, owns the world, owns the, the, the mind of this little girl, and she always wants Riley to experience joy in every situation. So whenever another emotion takes over, anger begins to take over, or, or sadness, or disgust, or fear, when one of these other emotions try to take over the kind of the motherboard or the control center of the brain, if you can picture this up, uh, joy tries to push them out of the way and calm them down and take control, and, and she tries to bring back up a good memory, and oh, I just, want, I just want Riley to be joyful and happy at all times. She tries to control the situation. The climax of the movie happens when Riley goes through all kinds of turmoil. Her family decides they need to move to another city, and the house they get, it's not clean, it's not as nice as, as the old house they had. It's a different city, she's in a new school, she's not fitting in with her classmates. I mean, there, there's, there, the, the food is different, and I mean, everything is different. She misses her friends, she, she misses her old life and her old city, and so her emotions just begin to wreak havoc, and she begins to break down because of this turmoil. And Joy tries to hold it all together, but she can't. And so here's the climax of the movie. The other emotion, one of the other emotions, the emotion of sadness comes over and begins to take over the control center of Riley's brain. And Riley just, she feels sad. And if you're watching the movie with me, you can't look at my face when this scene happens because I start to do waterworks, right? I mean, it's good. And she realizes, that we all realize as we watch the movie, that we all go through sadness. Sadness, it's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just, it's a thing thing, right? We all, we all go through sadness at times. But the beautiful part of this picture is joy can be can be present as you go through another emotion like sadness. So today we're going to talk about that a little bit 
In the Christmas story, we see joy come up a few times really radically in Luke chapter 2, verse 10. I'm going to read that again. I bring you good news that will cause great, what's the word? Great joy. So today, we're going to do a little word study together on the word joy. And I'm going to borrow from a scholar named Mary Ann Thompson who categorizes three kinds of joys, three ways that this word joy is used in the Bible, okay? So here's the three kinds of joy, the three forms of joy, the way this word is used in the Bible. The first is happiness. This is just the the good feelings that we have, the happy moments in life. There's good food, there's a wedding, a baby's born. These are just, these are the times where you get to the end of your day and say, today was just a great day, right? We, We all want to be happy. I hope that you're happy. It's part of our constitution. You are entitled to life and liberty and the pursuit of Happiness, yes, it's, happiness is good. I want you to have a happy life. I have a warning for you that I will get to in just a minute. If your greatest drive, if your greatest pursuit in life is more and more happiness, it will always end in greater despair. And I'm going to explain why I say that in a few minutes. So that's the first kind of joy. The second kind of joy that is used in the Bible is the joy of anticipation. This is the joy that we don't feel right away. This is when we're going through something hard, but we know that joy comes in the morning, right? Uh, That joy is going to come soon. Maybe it's a hardship that you go through, but you know that it's building your character. It's making you better. Or it's, man, I'm I'm in a tunnel right now, but I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. This is temporary. It's going to get better. It's, It's the joy of anticipation. And that's good. We all need to learn the joy of anticipation. So when we go through hardship, we don't just crumble. We realize that, no, I I have to go through hard things in life, and it builds me, and it shapes me. We all need to learn the joy of anticipation. But I have a warning for you. Sometimes things don't get better. Sometimes there is no light at the end of the tunnel. So what do you do? What do you do then? That's going to lead us into the third kind of joy, which is what Thompson calls notwithstanding joy. It's a joy that you can experience notwithstanding joy the situations around you. You don't need the circumstances of your life to align themselves in such a way that you can have joy. You can have joy even when sadness is taking control of the control center of your brain, right? This is the kind of joy that we're going to talk about today. All of these forms of joy are good. We all want happiness. I want you to be happy. You want to be happy. That's not bad to want to be happy. We all need to learn anticipatory joy. Otherwise, every time we go through something hard, we're we're, going to go crazy, right? So we all need to learn how to go through hardship in a way that we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. These are all good. What I want most for you is that you can experience notwithstanding joy when we get to that, okay? So let's jump in. Who wants to talk about happiness? Okay, well, let's just talk happy, 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 right? Duck Dynasty. We're going to talk about happiness. So the Bible, I won't share a ton of verses because there's there's just... There's probably a hundred, or I didn't count them up. There's dozens of verses that talk about just happy, happy, happy kind of joy, okay? Proverbs 17, 22, a joyful heart is like good medicine, right? The word joy comes up frequently in Scripture when there's, a, when there's a wedding, when there's good food and good beverages, when the sun is on my face, when you can see the stars in the sky, a great day with friends, a new child is born, right? So there's all sorts of times where the Bible uses the word joy just in the terms of happiness, During this holiday season, you are going to do all kinds of ridiculous things in order to pursue happiness, right? You're going to chop down trees which belong in the forest, and you're going to put them up in your house. You're you're going to climb up dangerous ladders and hang lights. You're going to wear sweaters that are openly described as ugly. You're going to spend money you don't have to buy things that you don't need to impress people you don't even like. You are going to do all sorts of things this, this month that are ridiculous, and we all know they're ridiculous, in order to pursue happiness. And why? Because it's fun. It's happy. It makes me happy to watch the same Christmas movie over and over and over. It just it makes us happy, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Happiness is a good thing, but I have a warning, okay? And here's the warning. 
if you strive after only, if, if your goal in life is to have more and more happy experiences, if that is the primary focus of your life, it will end you in despair. Here's how John Tyson puts it. He's a preacher in New York. He says that our world is driven towards happiness and people will stop at nothing to eliminate the, the hardship, eliminate the pain, eliminate suffering. We would do everything we can to just, to just back that out and to pursue whatever happiness, uh, you know, with money or with a job. or We'll do anything we can to just push despair out of the way and pursue happiness because we are driven towards that. And we all know that that doesn't work in the end. I mean, that's... That's pretty much the plot of every Christmas movie, right? The main character wants to eliminate the sadness, wants to pursue happiness. They find out it doesn't work and you have to embrace the both. We all know this, but we still pursue happiness with a drive that is insatiable. Even though we know that if you have all the money in the world, it's never going to be enough. If you have all the possessions in the world, it's never going to be enough. How many of you are like me? You self-identify as a rich person, but you're trapped in a middle-class body, right? I mean, that's, isn't that all of us? I, I mean, how many of you have been searching for a house that is on Easy Street, and they just never open up? Does anybody live on an Easy Street, by the way? There's not one in Hershey, or I checked, right? There's, it, it, Harrisburg is the closest Easy Street to here if you're looking for a house on Easy Street, but they are impossible to find an opening in your price range. It doesn't work that way. Here's what we do when happiness isn't working out for us. Uh, there's a pastor by the name of Michael Hendricks who wrote a book on this. And he says that we run to joy substitutes when we're trying to pursue happiness. Joy substitutes are these things that we, that we find that bring us momentary, temporary happiness. That never We're just trying to inject a little bit of endorphins into our life when we're going through a tough day, a tough week, a tough year. When it hasn't been your week, your month, your year, uh, right? That's the Friends theme song. We, we try to inject ourselves with, with some quick endorphins. There's some low-grade joy substitutes. Perhaps you turn to, uh, you, you, you take off your frustration when you walk in the door at home. You take it all on your family because for just a moment in time, for just a blip in time, you feel like you're in a little bit more control. And it makes you feel just a little bit better for a second. And you have to go apologize and, you know, so it ends up bad. But, but for just a second, you feel, like, you feel like you can control something or somebody. Perhaps you turn to junk food. It makes you feel better for just a split second. It ends up wrecking havoc on your body and you have to exercise more and so forth. But, but just for a second, you feel a little bit better. You turn to social media and you just scroll through because a, a couple of endorphins just kind of just kind of lights your brain up. For just a split second, you end up more miserable later. But, but just for a second, right, you find a joy substitute to run to. And we all do this. We all do this. You, you have your substitute and I have mine, right? They work for me for a second. There's more serious joy substitutes that we turn to, of course. There's uh, serious alcohol uh, issues that we can encounter. Uh, maybe you've had a moment where you ran to a sexual affair or to an emotional affair because uh, life was caving down on you for a season. Uh, you had a hard week, so you run to the gentleman's club, or you turn to drugs, you turn to pornography. There, there are all sorts of, there's low-grade, and there's also very serious, with serious consequences, joy substitutes that we find just to kind of inject ourselves with a little bit of happiness. But we all know they end in despair, but we, we keep doing that <laughs> because that's the path that we have created in our minds, right? What I want you to hear today is that there is a better kind of joy. I can't gift wrap it and put it under your tree, okay? It, it, takes, it takes time, it takes habits, it takes practice. Let me show you a picture of what I mean here. Tim Keller says, he, he gives this great analogy, this great illustration of two different forms, two different manifestations of joy. One is like a babbling brook, right? You see the white water 
Uh, it's shallow, it's thin water, it's a, it's a thin little creek, it's a thin little stream, and the water is jumping over rocks, and, and it's, it's, it's babbling, it's clapping, it's making noise. Some of you like to sit by a brook sometimes because it's soothing to hear all the sounds. It's, it's, it's loud, it's engaging, it's enjoyable, it's fun, it's, it, it's, babble, it's a babbling brook, but it's pretty shallow. The brook, of course, leads into a river in this picture, and the river is infinitely wider, it's infinitely deeper, and I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've sat on a kayak on the Susquehanna River and just floated down, and that water is moving far more rapidly than the stream was, but you can't hear a sound. It's so deep, and there's stuff going on under the surface, there's life, and there's fish, and there's, but, but you don't hear a sound. Which kind of joy do you want? Do you want the babbling, outwardly expressive, or do you, do you just want the river that's deep? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how you can practice something in order to get to that kind of joy. It's, 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 it's a deeper joy, and it may not always show on the surface, but it's, it's deeper. And I'm going to show you that a little bit later on. So anyway, the first kind of joy that we looked at is the joy of happiness. And that's, that's a good joy, but there's, there's something deeper I want for you. Here's, here's the second kind of joy that is mentioned in Scripture, the joy of anticipation. Here's some various verses that describe that. Psalm 30 and verse 5, weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 126, those who sow with tears will reap with joy. And so verses like this are communicating a couple things. For one, they're communicating that hard times aren't here to stay. There is light at the end of the tunnel. That's one thing that's being said in these verses. A second thing being said is that my suffering right now matters, right? I'm, I'm in the, look at that second verse, Psalm 126. I'm, I'm sowing seeds. I'm in the hot sun. I'm having to water. There's a lot of work that comes in, but one day it's going to produce something. It's going to produce a crop, right? So my suffering and my pain, the, the hardship that I'm enduring, it, it matters. So there's, there's an anticipation that something's going to happen. These verses say it uh, less abstractly and, and, and more concretely. Uh, Romans 5, we glory in our sufferings. Why, why would we take glory in our sufferings? Because we know, we, and we, all, we know this, we know, suffering produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. We know that hardship, w- w- without going through hardship, we, you, cannot, you cannot grow in these different virtues, right? That this, is how, this is how tougher people are formed. Uh, the sa- same kind of thing is said in James 1. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Why would I consider it joy? Because we know, and we know this, that the testing of our faith produces perseverance right? The joy of anticipation. It's, it's a joy that all of us have felt. But it's, it's, it's that confrontation that you know you have to do. You have to confront that person. It's not going to be pleasant, but it's only going to get worse the longer you put it off. But it's, you're going to be able to move on if you, just, if you just do it. It's signing up for counseling sessions, even though you know it's going to be hard and it's difficult and you don't want to do, nobody wants to do therapy, but you know you're going to be better in the end. So, so you do it with joy that you're going to be better in the end. It's the fatigue that comes from that workout or for that practice or from that sport that that breaks down your muscles, causes you to be sore, but you know that you're going to be stronger in the end. It's that sacrifice that you put in today knowing that it's going to pay off two years later. It's that season when you're poor, when you're lonely, when when you're sick, but you know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's the suffering that that, uh, Paul writes about in Romans 5 that we just read. It's the trials that James writes about. It gives you a greater capacity for perseverance, for character, for integrity, and so forth. It's the joy of anticipation. We all have had these times hit us. And this is good. We need, we need to learn to anticipate these things. But again, I have a warning for you. And here's the warning. We can get stuck in a habit of manufacturing joy, but sometimes things don't get better. Sometimes there's not a light at the end of this season or this hardship or this trial that we go for. 
And so there's different ways that, I mean, you all have tried these things. You've bought self-help books. You've, you've, you've listened to people on podcasts and things like that. There's different ways that we try to manufacture joy. You can look in the mirror and smile and Nick Shots, you're one, you're one handsome booger. Man, you know, you can, you can say self-affirming things to yourself in the mirror. You can start exercising, get a gym membership, take up biking, take up a habit, learn a new hobby. These are ways to manufacture joy. And they're not bad. I'm not saying they're bad. These are good things. I hope you try this. You should exercise. These are all good things. I'm not trying to say these are bad. You can, you can remind yourself that things are not that bad or other people have it worse than I do. And, the, and these are good things to remind yourself of. What I'm trying to say is they, don't, they, they only go so far. They only go so far. Sometimes we can try to spiritualize hardship that we go through. You ever met someone who, like, it's always the devil's fault? Like, something happens to them, it's the devil's fault. Man, God, God must be trying to teach me something because the devil is just attacking me. And I, I, I just think I, there's light at the end of the tunnel because the devil is just laying hard on me. There must be some blessing awaiting. And, and that might be true. That might be true. But I don't know, the devil's a pretty busy demon. I mean, there's like wars to start and like cartels to fund and things like that. I mean, maybe he's not behind your flat tire. I, I, maybe he is, but, but maybe not. Or, or maybe, maybe you've met somebody or you've experienced this where you, whenever hardship comes, you feel like God is calling you to run away from that. Man, I thought God was calling me to this, but it got hard. He, I must have misread. He must be, I think he's telling me I need to leave this job. I think he's telling me I made a bad decision getting into this relationship. I think he's telling me I need to leave these friends behind you. God, God is calling me to, to leave the troubles. And that could be the case, but it could be that God just wants you to, to go through this, right? I'm not saying it's bad to manufacture joy and look at yourself in the mirror and, and, and try to find spiritual truths and things. But, but, but I'm, I'm not saying that's bad. What I am saying is that manufacturing joy can only take you so far. And there is a better kind of joy. It takes practice. It takes habit. It takes, it takes new routines, new liturgies. You can try to inject your life with more happiness. You can try to just anticipate joy and realize that hardship builds your character and so much and so forth. But there's a deeper kind of joy. Let me, let me explain it with this way. This is a quote from uh, Michael Hendricks wrote this. He says, building resilience in difficult emotions is like buying a new cabin on a lake that has no path down to the dock. The first few trips to the dock take time and effort with a shovel and a machete. And following the path gets easier until after a hundred trips, you have a well-worn path between the cabin and the dock. What's the key to this? He says repetition is needed to build the path. You can find a deeper kind of joy. It takes repetition. It takes practice. Because here's... Here, here's what I'm trying to get at, okay? I'm, I'm trying to repeat myself a little bit so it sinks in, but let me, just, let me just speak very clearly, okay? You have conditioned your mind to do something when life is not going your way. You, you have some kind of ritual or habit or liturgy. You have, con- you have paths in your brain that you run to when you're not happy. It could be a joy substitute. It could be you come at home from work and, man, I need a beer. Or it could be you have some kind of habit that you've established, that you've been practicing. You have some kind of habit that you run to when you're miserable. And you try it. You try to manufacture joy. You run to a joy substitute. You already have some habit that you have formed when you feel miserable. And it doesn't always work. 
and the joy substitute only takes you so far. The main refactoring joy only takes you so far. Sometimes it leaves you more miserable. What, what I'm telling you to do today is that you have to learn, if you want to have a deeper kind of joy, you have to eliminate that and practice a different habit. You have to get out the machete and cut yourself a new path that goes down to that deep river that we talked about. There's a quick path that goes right here, but it only lasts for a second. How do you carve a path? Sorry, we're going to get to that. <laughs> okay, just hang, just hang with me. Because first we need to talk about the third kind of joy. We talked about anticipation and happiness. Let's talk about notwithstanding joy. This, this is a rare kind of joy. It's the kind of joy that we write poems and books about, right? This is the kind of joy that news anchors will board a plane and fly somewhere far to interview someone who has somehow experienced this. This kind of joy is so rare that, that I personally believe you, you must be a Christian, a Jesus follower, to actually experience this kind of joy. And if you're a Christian, many Christians don't actually get to the point where they understand this kind of joy that Marianne Thompson talks about, notwithstanding joy. Okay, let, let, me, let me explain it with a few scriptures. Here's Hebrews 12, verse 2. We are fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross scorning the shame he sat down at the right hand of God so Jesus himself he died on a cross penniless and naked and publicly shamed and there's no anticipation this is not going away this is not going to make him better he's not going to come back stronger the end of this trial is the end it's death but somehow in the, despite the circumstances notwithstanding what was happening he pursued that future with joy how this is rare. You, this is rare to find someone who has this kind of joy. When things are not going to get better, you, you, can, you can smile at yourself in the mirror all you want, but th this, that's, that's not going to cut it when you go through this kind of stuff. How did he have that? 2 Corinthians 7 verse 4, Paul says, I am greatly encouraged in all of our troubles. And go, and go read the context of that chapter. You'll, you'll read all about the troubles. In, the, in all of those troubles, my joy, th th there's no fence, there's no wall, there's no boundary to my joy despite my trouble. This is a man who, because of his missionary endeavors, had financial troubles. He went through loneliness. He, uh, he, he was physically abused. He was being chased by the government. I mean, this guy went through some serious troubles, but his joy had no bounds. Notwithstanding all that stuff, he still had joy. How? It's so rare to find someone who is like that. Colossians 1.24. Let me read two verses for you. Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. The same kind of thing is said by Peter, 1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when this glory is revealed. Now these verses are very interesting. There's many more like them, and they show us that the way of Jesus is a way of, of suffering, all right? In order to become the savior of our world, of, 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 of our life, in order to become the savior of the church, in order to pay for our sins, Jesus had to suffer. And if we follow the way of Jesus, we are following the way of suffering. And, and somehow we are participating in that suffering with, uh, with Jesus. Jesus is suffering with us. We are suffering like Jesus. And so if you're going through a struggle or if you go in the, for, through a struggle in the future where you're saying, I'm crying out to God and asking for deliverance. I don't know if it's going to come. You're suffering properly because the, the way of Jesus is a way of suffering. But there's a joy in the midst of that. It's so rare to see someone who can go through this. And there's no light. Of it. They're, they're, it's not getting better. But they still have joy notwithstanding. That's what we're talking about here. It's, it's not happy. It's not anticipatory. I mean, just imagine for a second some of the early 
church, some of the early church men and women who were thrown to the lions, like taking a selfie. Hey, what's up? I'm about to get mauled. I mean, this is, this is not that kind of hashtag blessed. Hey, what's up, followers? I'm in prison here with my, with, with my buddies. I mean, no, no, this, no this, this, is, this, is, this is so much deeper than any of that stuff. This is so deep. This is no babbling brook. This is so deep. It's, it's a rare kind of joy that you rare, that many of us haven't experienced. How did, they, how did they get that kind of joy? How can you have that kind of joy? Well, it's not quick. It takes time. It ta- you've heard me t- tell you numerous times, it takes time, it takes habit, it takes practice. So let me explain what I mean by that. Once again, you have already conditioned your brain to go somewhere, to take some kind of quick path to happiness, to anticipation, to manufacture joy, to a joy substitute. You have, ta- you have conditioned your mind to, to take some kind of path to quick joy. You've already got that. You, every time you reach over to, to adjust your oxygen tank, you swear under your breath because just for a split second, the release of tension makes you feel a little bit better. It doesn't last. But for a split second, right, you, you've conditioned your brain to react that way. You've conditioned your brain to, to pull the dump truck up onto your mother, your friend, or whoever, and just, just unload that stuff. And for a split second, you feel better. You feel like you're some kind of righteous sufferer, like, this is not fair. They're the worst. And you feel a little bit self-righteous and a little bit better. It doesn't last, but you've conditioned your brain to do that because for a second, you feel a little bit better. You go home and say, I need a beer. Today, I need two beers. And for a split second, it makes you feel better. But the headaches and all that, I mean, it doesn't last. You know that. You've conditioned yourself so that when you have that unpleasant interaction or that boss that just drives you nuts, you, you, you go into the bathroom, you lock yourself in the stall, and you just kind of just scroll because for, for just a second it turns your mind off. You pull up some images that just, for a, for a split second, it just turns your mind off. You don't have to think about it, and those endorphins go, and you turn it off, and you feel miserable. But for just for a second, you feel a little bit. You've already conditioned your mind to do, there's something that you already do when you're miserable to manufacture joy. You go out and you bear, buy that marijuana. You go and, and you curl yourself up in your house and you pile yourself from blankets and, and turn the heat up and you just cry and you sweat and it's like you're doing self-penance. You're, like for, for a little bit, you feel a little better because you're wallowing in your pain, but it doesn't last. How do we go beyond that? Instead of pursuing those habits, you have to purposefully say, I'm going to grab the machete and I'm going to cut a path down to that river that we've been talking about. And here, here's an example of a new kind of habit that we're talking about. Let me look at something that Peter said. We read one of his verses earlier. Here's something else that Peter said in 1 Peter 5, verse 7. He says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. Cast all your cares upon the Lord. First, here's what that does not mean. Peter is not saying, go to God in prayer and say, God, this is not fair and this isn't working out. Please make it work out. Amen. Oh, I feel better now. I've cast my... No, that's not what he's saying. When I, I believe when Peter is saying to cast your cares upon God, to, to give all your worries and cares before God, he means take a long season of prayer and, and process your emotions. God, this is how I feel. I'm going to name the emotions that I feel. Uh, I, this is why I feel this way, and this is the situation that's going on. This is what I think you're trying to do in the situation, but I'm not sure. And, and God, would you please meet this need and this need? And if you don't, would you just give me the courage to, to face it anyway? And, uh, and you, you just process that as if God is your therapist. You're, just, you're processing these emotions out loud in prayer, and then you end the prayer, and then you go back later. You're, you're just processing your emotions before God. This is something Peter did. And, and maybe, just maybe, this is how Peter was able to go through the, pers- the horrible persecution he went through but still have joy. Because he processed that with God in prayer. Here, here's another example, okay? Let's, let's read about David. 
Psalm 55, my heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me and I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove and could just fly away and rest. Okay, this was written in a different language that rhymed. It was, this is actually a verse from a poem or a verse from a song that David wrote. David had this habit when, when turmoil came at him. And if you read his story in Samuel and those, in those early on in Scripture, you know he had turmoil that faced him. And he would, he would, he would write psalms. He, he would write songs and he would sing them to God. And this is, this is how he released the, the pressure and the stress and the tension. He, he would write psalms and he would sing them to God. And maybe, just maybe, this is how David got to the point where he faces this close, where he faces the person who's been trying to take his life and he drops his sword. Maybe, maybe because he had this other habit, this other path formed in his brain, maybe this is how he was able to mourn the death of his child for seven days. And at the end of those seven days, okay, I'm going to the temple now to worship. Maybe this is how he was able to, co- to actually have notwithstanding joy because he had a different kind of habit established. Instead of running to these joy substitutes, instead of running to manufacturing joy, these people, people like this, they run to some other kind of habit. What's, what's your habit going to be? It takes time. You're not going to just master it tomorrow. But if you start practicing that habit now, you have a miserable day at work, start a new habit. What's your new habit going to be? My job is just to tell you this stuff. Your job is to find the habit. you got to figure out what is, what is, what's your new thing. Grab a machete. What's your new routine, your liturgy, your path, your habit? Your, what, what's your new routine when you feel miserable? You have to find your own routine that brings you back to God and allows you to process that with God and have joy notwithstanding the other circumstances. So today we've talked about three kinds of joy. We've talked about the joy of happiness. This is a good, this is good. A lot of happiness during this season. Whether you're a Christian or not, I hope that you have learned some tactics to enjoy more happiness in your life. But once again, I have a warning. Pursuing happiness at all costs will always end in despair. Because you, you cannot eliminate your pain and only pursue, it, only, it only works for so long. You can become addicted to joy substitutes. Easy alternatives like social media, alcohol, drugs, affairs, junk food, pornography. There's all kinds of substitutes that you can run to. You need a joy that's like a deep river, not just a loud babbling brook on the surface. We talked about happiness. Secondly, we talked about anticipation. This is, and I hope that, that you can learn anticipating good times in the future. I hope that you can learn to see there's light at the end of the tunnel. I hope that you can learn to say that this is hard right now, but it's, it's shaping me into a stronger person. I hope that you can learn that. This is, this is very good. But once again, there is a warning telling yourself that things could be worse and others have it bad, telling, telling yourself these narratives and stories and manufacturing joy can only take you so far because sometimes you don't emerge from trials better. Sometimes things don't get better. Sometimes that, that illness or whatever doesn't go away, that situation doesn't get, sometimes things don't get better. What do you do then? What do you do? That's when we talked about the third kind of joy, notwithstanding joy. And more than anything, I hope that you all can experience joy notwithstanding the circumstances going on around you. I do feel like I need to say, I, my personal opinion is that this kind of joy is only available for those who follow Jesus. And here's, here's why I say that. If, if you self-identify as an atheist or, you know, just once you die, all this goes away, there's... That, 
what happens in this life is paramount. It doesn't really matter if I beat my kids or love them. I mean, in the end, it all just kind of wipes away. Or if, if you identify as spiritual but not religious and everybody has the same path in the afterlife. I mean, it, it really doesn't matter what happens in this world. I'm not sure. I, I do not believe if you're not a follower of Jesus that you, you can really understand what these apostles were writing about. When Jesus faced that kind of suffering and, and he had joy in his eyes, I, I don't think you can experience that if you're not a believer. So I would encourage you, not just for that reason, but I would encourage you to talk to a member of our prayer team if you'd like to learn more about what, what is he talking about, a follower, what is he talking about, a follower of Jesus. I'd encourage you to talk to our prayer team afterwards. If you are a believer, let's just talk turkey. This is easier said than done, and I believe very few Christians get to the point where they can have the kind of joy that Peter and them wrote about. It takes time and habit and practice. What you're being challenged to do today is to replace the habits that you've already formed, those routines you've already formed, replace those with some kind of new habit that you're going to come up with, some kind of new routine that pushes you to have joy notwithstanding the circumstances. I'm happy to meet with you and talk about that, but that's, that's your job to come up with what that's going to be. What will your new habit be? Let me pray for you. Uh, and as I'm praying, the worship team can go ahead and come forward and prepare for communion. Father, uh, some of us in this room, we've, we've entered into December and we're having a terrific holiday. Others of us are, are not having a terrific holiday. We're having a terrible holiday. And then most of us are somewhere in the middle of those two options. Uh, my prayer, Father, is that you would use this theme of joy from the Christmas story to direct our actions. Uh, for those who are watching online, for those who are in the room, that are not believers, or maybe they're not sure if they're Christians or not. I, I pray that you would give them a clear understanding of the gospel, that you would give them the courage just to talk to somebody on our prayer team and find out what it means to be a Christian so that they have, so they have all the information in front of them and they can either choose to follow Jesus or, or decline that. I pray that you would give them the courage to pursue that. And uh, Father, I pray for believers in the room, for Christians who have chosen to follow Jesus, that we would recognize that notwithstanding joy is rare, but it's a joy that takes practice, and I pray that you would guide and direct each of us to find a new routine that leads us to finding joy notwithstanding the circumstances around us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.